Hello and welcome back to the In the Can podcast. As always, I'm Devin and I'm here with James and Tom. Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, everybody. Tom's not dead. No, I he survived. lives. He yeah. lives. So I survived. Uh, hi and welcome back, Tom. Thanks. I'm glad to be back, guys. Cool. I'm assuming you watched a lot of movies, but we'll talk <laughs> yes, about that at a different time. Awesome. Cool. So, uh, if you followed our last, we missed last week just because of scheduling issues and all that. So we're going to finish off our three-part pseudo mini-series of post or pre-production, production, and post-production. The filmmaking mm-hmm. process. Yes. This one will be post-production going all the way up until release. Awesome. And second release. We'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> or third release if you have certain movies. So. Titanic. Yeah. Or re-re-re-release as far as so many movies. Avengers. Didn't Ghostbusters yeah. do that at one point? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I special, know Jurassic Park did that. They had anyway. special one-night-only events. Yeah. So... Uh, first time we did this, it was pre-production and hiring everybody on and building all the sets, getting everything ready and all that. Then we get into production where everybody, just about everybody is doing their job and shooting. And then we did wrap and the final day. That's what we did the last couple of times. So spoiler alert, I guess, if that actually is a thing that happens with podcasts. So now we're going into (laughs) post-production. First off, we need to kill off the ranks of all of our thousands of crew that have been working. <laughs> just set them free. Yeah. So first one, and this is the one that I know because I do this on just about every every shoot I've ever been on, is art department. Art department, other than if you're doing heavy visual effects, all of the art department is let go. Uh, this includes prop, ma- prop masters, prop makers, set designers, set decorators, on-set decorators, on-set prop masters, on-set everything. All the PAs, the art directors, and the production designers, everyone's let go. No. If you have heavy visual effects, production designers and the art directors do stay on and help with the visual effects. Oh, so like practical stuff that needs to be kind of touched up and... Uh, no, if they're like digital effects, the production designer still helps design design that kind of stuff. And the ah. art director can help there as well. But for the most part, if it's like a prop master, they might they probably do some like shots of the sets and you do 360 shots of like the individual sets and any of the, the cars and all that. So reference shots. Yeah. Rep, you do a, a whole lot of reference shots, but then you ultimately tear everything down and either put it away in like a warehouse for a couple of years. Or if you're, this is one that you think you're going to be doing more with it. You'll, you'll go and put it in storage. Low budget. You just strike it, throws in the trash. If you need it later. Oh, well, don't have the money to store it somewhere, but larger budget, they keep all these props, all these sets, all these costumes, all these makeup stuff, all these hair. Marvel comes yeah. to mind. They probably they probably got stuff from the first Iron Man. Oh yeah, they do. Oh, but yeah. makeup, hair, art department, uh, costuming, they're all let go. They don't need to do much for the anything for post production except strike all the sets. So, so first off, your entire art department's gone except for any visual effects work and your production designer will stay on for various things here and there. They might be coming back later. We'll get to that. Actors, you're done. Um, unless you have any things with sound or anything like that, actors can move on to the next project. Assistant directors that are particularly for um, set stuff, so second ADs and so on, they'll let go. First ADs usually stay on to help manage some stuff in the, in the post-production. So just a little more time, uh, just like kind of tasks. Yeah, but for the most part, 
All ADs are let go. All um, PAs, production assistants, let go. They can go off on their own. The gophers aren't needed. Yeah. Gophers aren't needed. Usually a couple stay to like moves, move like stuff around during editing and like if you're running stuff to different places. Oh, so like sound and film uh, yeah, PAs. Yeah, those, some of those might stick around, but for the most part, they're gone. All lighting guys, grip guys, and camera guys, gone. Cinematographer sticks around for visual effects. Makes sense. Yeah, perfectly sensible. Um, any food people like caterers, craft and services, stuff. and caterers, let go. You have a considerably smaller amount of crew members, and they're probably going to um, go out to a, to a restaurant or something, or have delivery. You know, yeah. or have delivery. Uh, the writers didn't have a whole lot to do in production. That they're all pre-production, but when it gets into production, they're usually on set here and there, and then Consult- during editing. They're consultants, but for the most part, their job's done. They're working on the next project. Yeah, because I can imagine during, since I wasn't here for it, but I can imagine during actual production, writers sometimes might have to make small changes to maybe lines or something like that. Consistency. Yeah, and if you have a good, intelligent director, they go to the writer and say, hey, does this work? And so on. Will this screw up anything an hour later? Yeah, the biggest things for that is like TV shows. Okay. TV shows have content specialists and the writers on set almost at all times. Long run, I can imagine. Horsely, I can imagine Something, Star Wars or even like the Marvel movies yeah. would have somebody uh, that's like what that Kevin too. Kevin Feige is. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Feige. Now for Star Wars, uh, Kevin Feige very heavily is in charge of all. Where that. Pablo Hidalgo used to be the guy for it. And you know what? I can say that Feige has done a phenomenal job yeah. in that capacity. He but is then, insane yeah. in what he does. It's yeah. incredible. Um, but yeah, that. We let go of just about everybody except for the editors, the producers, and the director at this point. Okay. Like just about everybody's let go. They can all go off and do their own thing. And depending on how many editors <laughs> you have, that could literally be reduced to a half a dozen people. Yeah. For smaller budget movies, like something like It Follows or uh, Your Next, or like a lot of the slasher films, independent um, horror films, independent comedies, they pare down to one editor. Uh, one, I'm going to say sound mixer. I could be wrong. It's either a sound mixer or a sound editor. Okay. So I, I think, think it's a, sound, a yes. I think it's sound editor, I, honestly. I'm I, not, eh, whatever. I think it's a yes. Because, because the sound recorder technician and the boom operator, they're let go. The sound guy then gives all of his sound files to a sound editor or a sound mixer, whatever it's called. I mean, audio editor. Yeah. Um, I don't know why sound editor sounds weird to me. I believe it. It's still considered sound. No, it uh, it is, but for some reason, it sounds weird when you use, when this seems to be a very technical yeah thing. Doesn't matter. Yeah. And then all the camera files or the magazines full of film, if you're shooting on film, end up with the DIT person, the digital image transfer, who then puts it onto hard drives and gives it to an editor. So now all of the stuff you shot, all the stuff you recorded. Uh, all the behind the scenes, the EPK stuff, they are brought forward, and then you have an EPK guy. Tom, EPK is electronic press kit, yep. behind the scenes stuff. Cool. So, in other words, what you're saying is, is even now, where they have magazines full of actual film, things like don't end up on the editing room floor anymore because yeah, they're all still, put on the hard drives. Yeah, now. the on the editing on the editing room floor is literally they used to take pieces of film and throw it on the floor. Yes. Yeah. Because they would now, cut it out and then tape together the film. Even actual things that are filmed on actual film will be transferred. They are now di- digitally digital? transferred onto digital for- file formats. Yeah. That yeah. is... 
I'm going to hazard that it's a bit more of a special file designation when it goes from a film. Just just because if there's you're, an extra step. Yeah, if you are if you are doing something on actual film, I'd imagine you're going for a particular look. Yeah, Hateful Eight comes to mind. Okay, yeah, it's Tarantino. Yeah. Uh, anything Christopher Nolan does, I believe, is still mostly shot on film. Why is uh, that? Kind of varies. He just prefers it. No, I oh. I have to ask this because I'm aware of the re- restoration and preservation project for the older films that were originally shot on yeah, film. Degrading film. Yes. Now, for things like that, do do you know? Do they transfer any of that stuff onto digital for yeah. preservation's sake? Yes, they do. Okay. Anything old, they they are preserved. The way they preserve it is moving it into digital. Okay. And then they seal it up and. And then it's just forever sealed that way for posterity's sake. But they also have digital copies of most. uh, Not everything, like a lot of the Doctor Whos that were lost are just lost. Well, because they were either taped over or they were literally just tossed. Yeah. A whole lot of the old Doctor Whos actually burned. Because any film that ever has come out, very few of them are ever just permanently destroyed. Uh, They are put in a vault somewhere. They are now on digital. But a whole lot of them are like set off somewhere. So that in 50 years when, you know, It's a Wonderful Life was now a beloved classic and not a hated, hated train wreck of a movie like it originally was, um, they're now brought back, put into a computer, digitally colored, and re-released. So. It makes me sad because one of the biggest ones that I can think of about that is the movie Event Horizon. It had about a half hour cut from it because... The, the people who watched it for the but to figure out oh is this worth it we're like that is too gory there is too much yuck you need to cut it problem is the place the the place that held the actual film for it was a salt mine in Romania I want to say and the film got damaged oh boy yeah because so we will never get that director's cut now I know that Clint Eastwood I believe it is was one of the big people that was helping to do the restoration projects and preservation projects for all the major old films, things like that. That's cool. And um, I know that they talked about putting them into like a climate controlled sealed vault once everything was like preserved and everything like that. So that way they're making this giant like collection of these films and storing them in cans and stuff like that. Um, And I was a big fan of it when I first started hearing about it when I was younger, like in high school. And now I'm still a huge fan of it now, and I think this should be done because film is amazing, and yeah. it should never, it, it should never be destroyed. It's good, it's good to follow the history of it, and Absolutely. yeah, from everything I've seen from the the restoration projects that I've kind of followed, the big one is the original Star Wars films. Yes, but it's you digitally scanning it and then just correcting it as well you can from what you see in there and what looks like it's faded, and I'm sure there's telltales of stuff stuff like that yeah. i mean not only that but figuring out how to do all the strange techniques that they did for during production like yeah. vaseline on the lens in order to hide the wheels underneath the hover or scratching the film yeah yeah, yeah that, that's, that's a specific thing but yeah anyways well yeah that's the we're now at we'll say it's a we've been going with a moderate budget not amazing not not like marvel level not average uh, uh, Blair Witch Project average, you know. So original five, Star Wars, one million to five million, somewhere in there. You have your director, who again is always logically 
here, but he doesn't have to do a whole lot with this. Quite often, this is when a director will start writing his next thing or okay. looking for his next project. But someone like Edgar Wright um, or <laughs> Spielberg or some of these that are a little bit more more into the post-production, they will nice. be there. They'll be checking. But for right now, all of the footage and all of the sound go to an editor. Or, a.k.a. the second director. Um, as the joke goes, second director, second writer, but they go to the, they go to the editor and for the next, however long, however long, this is usually the longest process is the editing because it's tedious. You don't notice anything wrong with the editing unless there's something wrong with the editing. Uh, and even that I'm amazed how often I see terrible editing and nobody else catches it, but it is potato in the asterisk field. Yeah, pretty much. It is uh, a honey bunches of death. Anyway, but <laughs> it's an, <laughs> It's an invisible art. Yeah. When done right. So the editor now goes through and cuts, give, using the uh, script supervisor's notes that was taken on set um, and using the various storyboards from the, from the pre-production, the notes during the actual shoot, and using all the tail slates or the slates that were used by the second cam or second assistant camera. He now assembles roughly what the movie should be and starts editing. I'm not going to go into too much of the actual process of editing. If you really want to know the process of editing, just there's tons of stuff online. You can find it. There are people who literally make make videos of them editing something in real yeah. time. Uh, we are a weird age. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'll be honest, I enjoy editing, but at the same time, it is mind-numbingly, mind-numbingly tedious and cripplingly boring at times. Like, if it's something that you would spend a year, you know, working nonstop, and now you have to go through and edit it, it's tough. If you've ever had to edit, like, a, a script or a paper or anything like that, it's like that, but with a visual medium that's two hours long. People hate cutting things. Yeah. They hate subtracting from it, because yeah. the thought process is, if I've subtracted from it, it is less than it was. Yeah. Unfortunately, with something like like a movie, like any like music, like a book, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, it's oh. found that subtract. I've found that when you subtract something and boil it down to its essence, essentially, you get a much clearer picture than just having something. We've all we've all been in a movie that's been about half an hour longer than it should have been. Right, and then we've also for those who have done amazing job editing. We've also been in those movies that are two and a half or three hours long and feel like you've been in there for five minutes. Kind of like Endgame. Yes. That doesn't feel like a three-hour movie. The first time, it felt long, but and it same didn't with, feel like three hours. Though. And same with Infinity War. Like that, Those did, two... Yeah. That did not feel like a two and a half Watching movie. those back-to-back, -back, I forget that that's like five and a half hours. Yeah. yeah. Like, it breezes right by, and that's just a testament to that. Lord of the Rings is one of the best edited films. Mm -hmm. And the extended cuts, which... Is almost four hours long for number three. Doesn't feel it's it. Still fantastic. And Absolutely. I can even say with a with something like Ad Astra, it's like that's that's yeah. got a slower pace, but because of how it's edited, that two hours flew by. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then you can get like I've I've been watching a lot of horror movies, and you'll get the hour and twenty minute long horror movie when it could have been a half hour that you continually check your watch to see how much is left. Like, but then you get the horror movies that are an hour and a half, and it ends, and you're like, I wanted more. Right, and like, and feel short. Surprisingly enough, yeah, some of that can come down to the writing. Obviously, yeah. most most of those, yeah, the writing's terrible. The directing, well, a terrible, lot of but... a lot of the times, yeah. 
when something bad like that happens, I'll, I won't notice when it's well edited because, again, as we've said, they fly by. But when it's badly edited, you'll get that moment of, wow, they could have cut at least three different places in this little sequence and I would not have cared. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Over-editing or under-editing something is a, a huge problem. And that's where... It's an art. Yeah, it, that's where it is. the editor is that kind of unsung hero that even if you have a terribly shot movie... He can make it good. Mm-hmm. Like Star she Wars. No <laughs> hope. Yeah. Yeah. It all comes down to that editor kind of saying this is no, this needs to change and so on. So he'll do an edit. Um, right now they, they kind of line up the sound, but right now the sound's not all important. No, it's a rough, um, it's it's a rough visual, guide. Yeah. It's all rough visual cut. Uh, this is kind of that point where reshoots get talked about. And I'm going to go jump into reshoots really quick. This is where the actors are brought back. This is where the art department's brought back. And anyone that needs to be brought back is brought back. Uh, this is when they realize, oh, we didn't get this shot. Or, oh, this sequence doesn't quite work. Let's change it up a little bit. Or the bit. executives say, you got to change that right now. Yeah, I don't care what it costs. That doesn't, that doesn't work. We don't like that. Or, hey, you need to add Thor in a, in a swimming pool. You know, like... They, someone jumps in and says, you need to change this. <laughs> Wait, was that seriously a reshoot? Yeah, Age of Ultron. Yeah. Um, no. Thor yeah. in the cave was a reshoot because they added to add something for down the road. Huh. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, that something makes so much more sense. But yeah, Because right? like, it, it's so weird and out of place and you're yeah. just like, oh, okay, I guess. Wow. Sure. Yeah. This is where, if you hear a movie has extensive reshoots, it's not always bad. It just means that something needed to change. Yeah. And... Some of the most notorious ones are been Star Wars lately. Lots of reshoots. Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad had a huge amount of reshoots. They changed the film, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of movies that if you have a whole lot of reshoots, usually that means a bad director. It means a director that wasn't sure what they were doing. Or a director that didn't get along with the producers. And now this is where, finally, the producers are trying to throw their weight around. Everything's already shot. We're down to, like, five core people left. And the, and the producers can come in and be like, yeah, change this up, change this up. They get the reshoots. They <clears> fill in what they need. If you need, like, an insert shot or whatever, you know, they go and do it. Um, but, yeah, reshoots. Hopefully you only have a few days of reshoots. But no, if you have them at all. Yeah. Out of curiosity, for the actor's standpoint for all of this, mm-hmm. when since they've already been let go, does this mean that there's a part of their contract that says that they have to be available for X number of time after the production is ended for reshoots, or is that kind of a, a case by case? That's basis? a case by case basis. Um, I would have hated to there are that with Kishin Bill during Machinist. There are some examples of very bad reshoots that are obvious. Now, the most notable one: Superman in Justice League. <laughs> after Zack Snyder left because of the family issues, hypothetically, and. Joss Whedon was brought on board. Joss Whedon purposely added a bunch of new things. Anything with Superman, he had already moved on to the next project, which was Mission Impossible Fallout. Fallout. Yeah. And he was in the middle of shooting Mission Impossible Fallout when they wanted to do reshoots. He had grown facial hair. And because it was kind of a, or because I think it was universal, it was like, no, screw that. He's contracted with us right now. Wasn't allowing him to shave his beard. Came out of the mustache and a beard. They just figured, okay, we'll fix it in post. Which means, eh, we'll deal with this and we'll fix it later. Which I'm going to add a little bit. 
but it's also because the the reason that there was such a crossover with that is because of Tom Cruise breaking his leg. Yeah, that was yeah. that got that was that, yeah. that that's what delayed the initial shooting yeah. on Fallout, which coincided with the time that they wanted to do the reshoots. There's also another interesting story about that, but that would divert too far from this. And just look it up. It is interesting how that abomination of editing came onto that and screen. The fact that they decided to start the movie with that shot. Terrible. Uh, only thing I'll say about it is that they could have done it for cheaper and more convincingly made it so that he had a beard the entire time. Yeah. Which would have been amazing. Yeah. Superman with a beard, I'm down. Yeah, exactly. Make but it actually interesting. Anyway. But yeah, that's the reshoots, they're usually not a big deal. No. Uh almost every decent sized film has some kind of reshoots. I think the big problem is and that the the whole public thinking of it nowadays is the fact that when you hear about something like that, the the ones that you hear the most about are not exactly don't come out as great movies. Anyway. Yeah, the, we hear a lot about the reshoots ending up in bad like bad territory, but for the most part, no, it's a just a normal thing. Uh, something falls through the cracks. You didn't storyboard out this tiny shot. You want to add a a couple of extra like uh, some directors really like making interesting edits and cross dissolved, but have like a person wipe past camera. They they just have that person walk as a reshoot. Yeah, the, the big the big ones uh, that I've that, that I can think of in the last couple of years that I've heard already were going to be not great movies. Yeah, and no amount of reshoots are going to make a bad movie amazing, but you can at least make them better. Make them passable. And, yeah, I, and it's sad too because whenever the press ends up getting a hold of the story, <sighs> there's going to be reshoots. So much speculation and hype goes yeah. into it that when anybody who pays attention to those publications automatically is going to have this in their head when they go into the theater. And in a lot of cases, it can really bring down the expectations of that viewer, which is unfortunate. Yeah. So, uh, another thing that is right around this time, you get test audience screenings or okay. in-house screenings. Oh. Um, and you might notice this is before I've been talking about visual effects. Visual effects are doing their thing. They're starting to work on it, but they're doing not, what they can. Yeah. So this is they're viewing basically raw footage. Yeah, they're they're viewing raw footage that's been rendered out. So rough not, cut, essentially. Yeah, rough cut. Okay. Um, which do you like this? Is this how? But then they'll give like one ending to one screening, one ending to another. See which one works better. The time where they test out that stuff. The people and in the test audiences are idiots. They're people that are like, I can go and see a movie, and you know, get five bucks to watch a movie, and you know, that kind of stuff. You know, they're like. They purposely get the dumbest people possible to do this, or like huge movie fans go and do this, or people that will talk to their friends if they're like super interested. And, you know, it, so they're not for a discerning yeah. palate. Test screenings are not like for wide release. They're, I'm not sure if I like this particular thing. Uh, I mentioned Edgar Wright a lot, but he does all this. Like, he does a lot with post production. He did a rough cut, uh, two different cuts of Scott Pilgrim. One that Scott ends up with Ramona, one that Scott ends up with Knives, and wasn't sure which way he wanted to go for the ending, because it's like the very ending. And he gives both, and he got more people saying, why is he not, why do, Why wouldn't he go with Ramona? But After all he went through, it felt like kind of a cop-out that he didn't yeah. get with her. No, no, yeah, I, no, I, I can see that. So that was one that he was kind of leaning towards Knives, and then But, they, but the, the, the test, test audience actually kind of brought up a decent and point. He's like, that's great. That's a great point. Oh, and then then change it up. So yeah, it can sometimes be for good. But then yeah. I've also heard where a lot of test audiences, audiences, they're a good idea. 
But the biggest thing I've found is that use it like a a relative barometer, not uh oh yeah. they think this, we should obviously go with it. Yeah. So what it sounds like is it sounds like advertising focus groups at this point. Not quite yet. Um, well, but like when you when an advertising agent wants to oh, go and yeah. something, they get focus groups to say, "What did you like about well, this?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So yeah, I just wanted to it's make sure like I understood that, but it's more for the technical editing side of it. Okay, yeah, I wasn't sure, um, that's why I thought I'd ask. So, and they'll be doing more and more test audience type screenings as this goes on. Um, I've heard I've heard a couple movies got changed entirely and actually caused reshoots because they just did not like something in it. Yeah, like there's been some, and I can't think about the top of my head. But Neither, like, no, I said they really didn't like a certain ending. Endings are the biggest for test audiences. Um, you know but, what? It's as much as people as people harp on it. It's like oh, it just ended. It's like ending something is honestly almost as important as the rest of the movie yeah. yeah if you don't stick the landing the rest of the movie could be amazing but if you don't stick the landing people are going to remember the fact that you uh, botched the, the ending to quote a yeah. little known Johnny Depp movie most important part of the story is the ending uh, super window anyway yep. yeah which is funny coming from Stephen King Anyway, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that Stephen King has said that I think really you're thinking you're, you're saying that oh he's, he's fully aware pathetic yeah. hypocrite anyways yeah but test audiences will be going throughout this. Um, okay. It, they get better and better, hopefully, as the movie gets closer to release. If you have visual effects, they start doing temp designs for that. And you get some weird, like, maybe even storyboard scenes of, like, this happens, but it's all digital. Sci-fi does that. Giant, giant CG battle. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but just two, two action figures punching each other. That actually sounds amazing. <laughs> That's what they should have done. That's what they should have done. So they robots chicken it. They sh- they should have done that for Deadpool too. Just yeah. have go into that and then just cut to two giant yeah. two Sorry. two two people's hands going the entire time. That would have been amazing. Funny. That would have been, <laughs> been great. Yeah. This time, let's just say that the editor gets down his locked and like this is why I think is perfect. Director agrees. Where do we go from there? First thing we do is go over to the sound guy or the sound. Mixer slash editor, whichever one this was, and says, okay, what can you do? Sound guy then goes through all the dialogue and decides, okay, what can we use? What needs to be reshot or re-recorded? So ADR. And then that is when the actors come back into the studio and do ADR, uh, audio dialogue replacement or automatic dialogue replacement. There's a, I want to say it's the first one. There's a few different versions and it's changed over the years, but, but dialogue replacement, they come into the studio, they do voice voice work someone like Gollum okay. um, or mostly a lot of animated stuff has already done this but like any mocap stuff mocap stuff mocap they're also kind of doing mocap stuff synonymously with the editing or with with production okay mm-hmm. um, mocap's a little bit weird but like the voice for that stuff is yeah. usually done at this point well, I'd imagine for the for the mocap slash we recorded right about now slash CG characters, it'd almost be easier because you can still change that in the post yeah. to match up a little easier so you can get a better yep. uh, get a get a better read instead of lip locking. Like lip locking. Yeah. yeah. And right now they do the ADR. Um they do any foley, which is footsteps, just footsteps, sound gunshots, sound effects, uh drapery moving. A door. Um a door opening, a squeaky wheel, and they only have one damn sound effect. A guy getting kicked off a bridge and doing the Wilhelm scream. Crickets. Um crickets, uh all of that stuff. The subtle movement of someone grabbing a glass, uh the the ice clinking in the glass, 
setting the glass back down. The flop of somebody's uh, arms uh, blattering on the floor as it's been cut off of them. Yeah, um, all that all kind of the, stuff. All the miscellaneous stuff that you don't mm. really... You don't notice, but if it weren't there, you would notice. Yeah. yeah. Like, someone walking into a room is the big one that they do. And, like, what are they... Are they walking on stone? Are they walking on tile? Are they walking on dirt? Are they walking on wood? Are they walking on carpet? Grass, whatever. Grass. Yeah. They they actually go through and, like, do boots hitting ground. You know, that kind of stuff. And uh, they have a nice, really... A really cool thing on the Lord of the Rings appendices about yes. Foley's... And they have a really cool one on King Kong. That's it's, all about Foley. It's, it's, right? it's very interesting, especially the stuff they they use to get the sounds that we're all familiar with. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. And to see, so, there was a couple of specials I've seen, like on Reels channel, I think it was. Oh yeah. Um, where they've gone to Foley Studios. Foley Studios are fascinating. Yeah, and you just see like aisles and aisles and aisles of just random crap, and then the Foley artists go through and go. Okay, I need this, 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 and this, and they come out with like a uh, bell for a um, bicycle, a rubber chicken, and like um, a cucumber and something else random. Well, the sound of a nuclear blast. <laughs> exactly. They MacGyver it so insanely. Yeah, exactly. Jurassic Park. It's a lion and like a goat and something else, but then put through a modulator. It's like whoa. One whoa, of the biggest like ones the I think. Wookie. One of the biggest ones I can think of is uh, Godzilla's roar, yeah. which is a uh, what was it? It was a steel. It was a steel or iron pipe, and they took something in resin and just, or it was a wire. I think a steel wire. They took resin and just ran all, uh, uh, along yeah. it. It's like some of this, those are creative people. Those yeah. are one hundred percent creative. The scuba gear for um, Darth Vader. Yep. Uh, yeah. Put a microphone yeah. in the actual yeah. rebreather. There are yep. so many little things that Foley is just one of those that. Nobody really knows what Foley is, but it's a really interesting little job. That, it's another kind of invisible art. Yeah, if it's a, done a well, lot of post-production is an invisible art that nobody really catches unless it's bad. And you get some terrible Foley. Yeah. Uh, particularly, there's like a time before the 1970s that just everything was loud and they didn't know levels. And just everything's terrible Foley. So watch some old school films. Like, not the big ones. The big ones like Wizard of Oz and all those. Those had good Foley artists. But watch some of the, like, the off-brand stuff and just the foley is terrible and watch some horror movies back then oh my god they're and funny kung they're fu, funny kung fu films oh my god yes um they just have absolutely terrible foley and like the and it's like the the sound effect was longer than the action so it's like the yep. person stops moving and then the head happens and like just there's all this kind of stuff to be fair some of those you have to wonder if that's not the joke i don't think some of these are jokes <laughs> no and that's but, Nowadays they wouldn't be, but it's like it kind of like it's like is that the joke? Is it they're like, funny? They're like the bad. I shouldn't say bad, but the old Adam West Batman episodes. Pow. It's the pow bang sing, yeah, and you're just like, okay, I guess we're gonna animate this onto the screen as well. Let's sure, yeah, <laughs> let's so make it that obvious. While the sound, yeah, pretty much, well, the sound editor or mixer is working and all that with the ADR, the Foley. They also give a copy of it. Over, or a copy of the completed, quote unquote, um, completed edit to the composer, mm. who might have already been working on stuff. Depending on if you're a John Williams or a Danny Elfman or Hans Zimmer, you're probably already working on stuff for it. But especially if they've been using temp music, yeah, the bane of composers everywhere. Temp music, um, 
they find something similar that they want, and then they might just use it. Uh, there's some pretty lazy production companies out there that just... Well, the worst part about that, real quickly, is the fact that, unfortunately, there's a... I wouldn't say a tendency, but there's a possibility that they'll get so... Atta- they'll, they'll use the temp music while editing yeah. and edit to the temp music that then they'll basically give them and say, hey, do this, but not this. Yeah. So you get movies with the same beat over and over and it, it becomes predictable. Instead of being its own thing, yeah. now it's yeah. it's a slave to the temp music. Which is Yeah, it's... Because yeah. <sighs> we all know that soundtracks in a lot of cases can do much more for a movie than people ever give them credit for. Yeah, and if you give the composer free reign as opposed to temp music, you would have gotten, one, something a lot different, possibly. Yeah. And two, you would have gotten something a lot better. Yeah. yeah. So the composer is now doing his thing. Uh, and we'll say all the Foley, all the ADR, all the dialogue's good, all the sound effects are good. Um, they're kind of in their location, but they right now they're all on the same level. Uh, the... Uh, the composer delivers a score they put that there so now you have all the the video raw video done you have all the sound effects done uh we haven't really mentioned the visual effects but the visual effects would be done before the sound effects are done that way in a perfect world in a perfect world and then the composer has theirs done before you do anything with all of those that are on the same at the same level let's jump into visual effects this is where Thousands upon thousands of people work. This is the most populated in in uh, Hollywood right now. You have people rendering out skin textures. You have people rendering out all this. It's you grown have, so much. You have millions of people working in the visual effects uh, to a point where I'm not even going to bother touching some of these. Like you have one art house or one visual effects company could be doing the final fight of Black Panther. And the other one will be removing the texture from, you know, the suits in Black Panther so they can render it. And even like, and even then, yeah. not only that, to take that even further, because I'm sure it's not, not even understating, you can have that company that's doing the entirety of the final fight, and you can have separate departments working on, okay, you do this 10 seconds, you do this 10 seconds. Yeah, it's, there's a, a in a computer, there's a, a term called a RAID um, system, where you have... In, like instead of a normal hard drive doing all of the processing on one thing, uh, you have a RAID system where there could be like 10 different hard drives going to the same save file. And you do like 10% goes here, 10% goes here, and they all turn it independently so it comes out faster. That's kind of what's going on with a visual effects company. Um, you can have someone doing all the backgrounds. You can have someone doing all the action. You can have someone doing all the particle effects and all the lighting effects. They break it into pieces. Yeah, they break it up. They put Frame Store over here doing this, Corridor Digital doing this, ILM doing this, while Weta Digital does this. And you have all of these different companies doing all these different things from the same movie. And then ultimately, they all have to be put back together. Uh, the mocap stage and all the character development over here has to be added in you have all the the water splash over here you have just everything put together and ultimately added on to the live plate that you may or may not have shot so and that's why it's honestly a miracle that we get as good cg as we do yeah 
It's mm-hmm. also a miracle that movies actually get turned out as quickly as yeah. they do. <laughs> we we CG, discussed this. We discussed this last time. CG <laughs> used to take take thousands on thousands and thousands of hours to render. Like one frame of Avatar took like three days to render or something like that. Yeah. <sighs> well, I mean, there's a reason why. It. Yeah. There, there's a reason why certain movies took like three or four years to be created yeah. because of post production. Yeah. And. Movies like Avatar, The Matrix, or Titanic are, they're notorious for being these big, like, really expensive movies, but you really think about the technology they pushed forward, especially Avatar. Avatar is now kind of crapped on for its story, but all of the back end, everything else going on, the visuals in that movie are astounding for what they did. Yep, the fact that that was ten years ago, I'll agree. Right, well, that it would hold up. It would hold up. Held it coming yeah, out now. It's, it still have, holds up. The beautiful thing is, is, you have people like James Cameron who are willing to help invent. They want to do that. Brand yeah. new ways of doing things, specifically because they have a vision of how they want it to. Push, be. They want to push that envelope to further the art. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And eventually, yeah. it gets to the point where what was considered insane Avatar is now the a lot more. Yeah, closer to the norm. Yeah. Uh, Infinity War. Yeah, with yeah. Thanos. Yeah. So, to jump ahead, let's say that visual effects, all your visual effects have been done and put in the sound guy, the sound mixer. I think this is the sound editor. I'll, I think this, all up to this point, is the sound editor. Has done all their job. They have all the sound effects, even for the visual effects. And everything is put into the timeline on an editor's computer. Again, it kind of goes all back into one. Can you just play it once? <laughs> once, bra. Yeah, let's say it's all, everything's into the editor. The editor now gives it to the other one, the other sound mixer, who then has to break down, okay, Time how loud crap. is that footstep, and lowers that footstep's volume, raises this footstep's volume, lowers this bit of sound score, and he has to go through this entire two-hour movie, let's say it's a two-hour movie, um, and edits the levels of all the sound of all like the potentially 50 or 60 different tracks of audio. All these squares make a circle. All these yeah. squares make a circle. Now, at this point, do does the sound person, sound editor at this point, uh, mixer, whoever they are? I believe this one's the mixer. No, it'd be, it'd be the mixer because you're actually mixing with yeah. it as opposed to so at this point, the sound mixer. Would it be appropriate to say that I'm sure at some point that they just sit there and go, cool, for the soundtrack part, we're going to lower that to zero for right now so I can hear all these other sounds. Oh, they isolate. Oh, yeah, they isolate stuff. Okay. Everything's isolated. So, okay, I'm just trying to make sure because, like, I'm not the most familiar with all the different parts that go into this. And I may not have done it professionally, but I've done it for stuff, for just personal stuff. And trust me, you isolate the crap out of everything. I would imagine you'd have to just because otherwise you'd go insane and there's a ton of stuff that you would miss. It's literally a company at first. Right, because I know that having, while I was out sick watching a bunch of movies, there are so many points where things get drowned out. And I've gotten to the point because while I was sick and having to share a room with somebody, I watched a lot of things with subtitles on the screen and closed captioning and stuff. And there's parts that I'm like, that was said because it was drowned out by some other noise, whether it was the soundtrack or some like footfalls or whatever's going on. And I'm like, I can't believe that part was said because I completely missed that. It was either intentional or someone, the the mixer missed it. And that's not even getting to the fact of, those those deliberate shots where all the sounds pulled out except one specific thing. 
Yeah. Which in and of itself is a headache. Yeah. So yeah, the sound mixer again, I think. Is You're uh, mixing all the sounds together, blending them. That's yeah. that's how I think of it. Um they go through it and finalize, I'll say officially, there's usually there's like three or four passes of this, but they finalize the final sound. Then they hand it back to the editor. <laughs> Who goes through? Cool. I approve of all this. The, basically, the editor is the boss of okay. post production. Yeah. He's working direct, much like the art or the production designer and the director of photography. Um, usually, at this point, the art director, the production designer, would come in. Cool thumbs up. Uh, the cinematography would be cool thumbs up, and then they go off their own directions. The visual effects supervisor would cool thumbs up. And then it goes back, the editor goes into what's called color correcting or color grading. This is now a, a standard process after Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings kind of pushed this to the next step. But they go through the entire film and they will tweak colors, just colors. So you get a little bit more green when Frodo's sitting in the forest. You get a little bit more gray when they're in Osgiliath. You get a little bit more red and red and blacks when they're in Mordor. They kind of tweak, almost like going through Photoshop in every single frame. They do this for the entire film, so everything seems homogenous. Everything seems like the same film. They could have shot something outside with the wrong lens, and it turned bluish. They could have shot the white balance over here is a little off. They go through and they tweak every little thing. They tweak every single frame in the entire film. And then they what they finally have what's called a picture lock. Oh, my God. Yeah. Good gravy. And they lock it down. The director gives a thumbs up. The producers give their thumbs up or say, no, I hate it. Scrap it. Uh, and that's at which, at which point you want to murder. Thing. <laughs> at which point you want to murder the There producer. has been movies that have been publicly just canned. Uh, uh, one not too long ago about, about like a most dangerous game type thing was just canned because it was too close to reality, apparently. But, yeah. So right now, you have a picture lock. If you're a big budget film, parts of your movie have already been locked. These go to the trailer department. This goes to marketing. And at this point, let's let's talk picture lock to release. The picture is handed over to a marketing firm that then cut together a trailer. So is this the point where we get where we get yeah. edits for a commercial or trailer that have parts in the movie that don't make the final movie? Sometimes. Uh, it's also the point where you'll get spoilers. Budget yeah. movies like, say, King Kong, whose entire trailer wasn't in the movie, they will specifically shoot stuff for trailers. Or, if they need to get the trailer out, like something big like Justice League is pretty notorious for this, and various things, if they need to get it out fast, larger budget movies will purposely pick the things that, okay, we think these will make cool trailer, they will get it all ready and picture locked and send it out to the marketing early. For the most part, lower budget films, the film is done, then they crank out the trailer. Yeah, as but God intended. Huge budget trailer, huge budget movies and their trailers, like, we just, we'll probably get a Star Wars trailer for whatever's coming after Rise of Skywalker. We'll get something months and months in advance. They're still editing for the next, like, six months, probably, so. Probably, yeah. But 
Yeah, that's how we end up with some weird continuity issues of, like, that's not in the damn trailer. The worst part is when something that was in the trailer that was really good, and then for some godforsaken reason, they changed it in the movie. So, yeah. this is notorious that I've noticed for comedies. Comedy and comic book movies. Yes. They'll gladly put this, like, huge thing in there, and, like, you see it and you're like, that was hilarious, I can't wait to see this movie, and then you get to the movie and you're like, where was wait, it? where was that part, because I... Did I, did I get up to go to the bathroom and not realize I'm it? Looking, I'm on? looking for... I'm, I was looking to enjoy the context. Where Where is the context? I, I see no context. Yeah. I see no part. Right, so... I like, did that. I did that. Oh, one of the things... Oh, there's a big surprise. Okay, so that's... They, they'll usually get it, and then they'll make their own cut. They'll make their own cut. And again... They'll go through the producers, not the director. The director has no say on marketing, usually. Uh, it, you know, certain directors do, of course, yeah, yeah. But, and certain budgets. Ah, so you, you're saying the producers are morons? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, producers that, have money, but they don't know what the hell they're doing. Uh, I mean, that kind of makes sense. No, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So the producers then have a trailer, and this is where producer go and do their thing. They shop the trailer out to people, and if you don't have a distribute distributor already, this is where you get a distributor. You go to, they start sending the trailers to various people, and so on they could send the whole movie as like a hey would you like to pick this up and eventually someone get picks it up you know whether it's warner brothers or disney or you know yep yep take your pick fox oh never mind <laughs> um but yeah someone gets it you have disney marvel fox just said disney three times yeah. but um then like so true now your stuff's locked your editor is good editor can leave Anyone else that was hanging around maybe to do their job, they're all let go. You have a picture lock, and you are picked up for distribution. Say your distribution's in two months. Your actors are brought back for marketing, publicity shots, that kind of stuff. They did some while on set, but you do publicity. They do their rounds of like Conan O'Brien and Stephen Colbert and all those, depending on how big your movie is. Your director might, you... You know, you have canned things, they go do interviews, that kind of stuff. Media blitz. Okay, so all the press junkets and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, press junkets, all that kind of stuff's here. Might go to Sundance Film Festival or Traverse City Film Festival, that kind of thing, hoping to get distribution. You, you, you do all the crap you can do to get your movie into a big budget theater like AMC or MJR or Cinemark or any of the other ones. But you finally get there. The, now, like, nobody has control over the movie. They put the movie out in theaters, and people go see it. They review it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you do have reviewers like, you know, Detroit Free Press or New York Times. They go and review it. Um, this is where, like, review aggregates that, like, Rotten Tomatoes get involved. Okay. Like, they just collect all the different reviews, and if they say, yes, it's good or no, it's not, that's how you get tomato meter. It's not that Rotten Tomatoes just gives an arbitrary number. It's it's a legitimate thing. Um, and then they distribute out the movie. People watch it. They review it. They tell their friends, hopefully, and so on. Now, your movie's in theater. It's hope, say it makes $100 million. Cool. Not an amazing amount of money anymore, but still, it makes money. It's respectable. Yeah, it's a respectable amount of money. Right. People poop a lot because it's not a billion, but it's like, that's a hundred million. Yeah, if you had a five million dollar budget and made a hundred million, you have a paranormal activity movie and you're going to get six sequels for no reason. But, <laughs> but at this point, no, there's no anger there. <laughs> the thing is, I'm not, I, I don't hate the sequels. It just doesn't matter. Right. But, so yeah, so now you've got that. So you're in theaters. Ultimately, the movie is done. That's it. 
uh, the years of producing and making this movie have run their course. Producers or director, whoever might be like, hey, we're making a new movie, writer, and they're making a new movie, but that's a whole other process. It cycles again. A couple months later, uh, the EPK crew finally delivers all their crap. Uh, everything is edited together, and you get a DVD release, hopefully. And something like Family Weekend, it took us a year and a half to get a DVD release, but okay. Um, Detention of the Dead took about a year. Um, but you get a DVD release. It's now being sold at Walmart. Cool. Everything is done. You can walk away from this production completely. The director walks away from this production. Everyone walks away. They move on to the next thing. Now, is the the people who put together the EPK, now they're the ones who determine what goes onto the DVD? No, they're usually just the people that record it. Um, they're the camera people. There's usually like one person that's a, that's in charge of all that. Okay, because so. I wasn't sure because I know like I had a friend who did an internship for, I think it was Anchor Bay production oh, yeah. yeah um and one of the movies they did was saint vincent and for distribution for dvd and i just i wasn't sure who actually did like well here's what content we're putting onto this dvd that kind of runs through the producers okay I wasn't producers sure. are kind of the head of that okay. um you don't really get a lot of that with the director they but it's kind of the epk is like given free reign to do that kind of stuff okay but they have to be confirmed, like yes or no. That's all, that's also why you'll send stuff. And you'll have stuff bleeped out yeah. from uh, from them, even though it's like, well, why is that bleeped out? Marketing or some yeah, something like that. Yeah. But, but yeah, at this point, all of the work that has gone into this movie is now on screen, hypothetically. So that's it. Wow. Okay. So post production again doesn't have a whole lot going on. It, it has a lot of like little moving pieces, but. It has to kind of be like, this has to get done before this gets done, before this gets done. It's a puzzle. So it's like a puzzle, but each piece is it has its own order. Yeah. Okay. So is, production is just like free-for-all, and everyone's doing things at different times. And it seems like editing the post-production stuff all seems to be super focused on the minutia of everything. Yeah. Whereas uh, pre-production is like big overall picture. Yeah. Production is let's get everything done, including a little bit extra stuff just in case, and then post-production is, okay, well, here's exactly the picture that we're going for, and we've got a lot of crack to sift through to get what we want. Yeah. The other thing that springs to mind is the fact that it's literally all edit editing, just yeah. different types of editing. Yeah, it's either visual or it's... And it's like visual, sound, uh, visual effects, like special effects, CGI. That's all just more code in a, a computer. Um, and that's the simulations. That's it. It's that they, those three, the, the sound, which includes the music and the sound effects, the visual effects, yeah. if you have any CG, and the visuals. Yeah. Those three things, and they're editing. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And it's all just editing it together and then sitting and letting it render for overnight. So. so essentially, what it sounds like is, is the product process itself is a very drawn out thing but if you were to break it down into its parts it's actually incredibly simple oh yeah if you wanted to make a movie on say a hundred dollar budget and just not pay anybody ultimately pre-production is your like bane of your existence <laughs> because that's when your production designer wants to use six thousand dollars to make something look cool and you can't um i couldn't give you 60 <laughs> you'll take 60 and you'll like it okay well it's gonna look terrible but 
cool. So you get your pre-production done. Uh, you get everything set up and you're like, we're shooting tomorrow. Cool. Uh, you know, costumes. You don't really need costumes. You have a shirt. Cool. Blah, blah, blah. You get your stuff done. You have a script that kind of might work and blah, blah, blah. You shoot for a couple of days. You know, long days, but you shoot everything. You get everything done. And you hand it to one guy who would edit the whole thing. And you can make a movie with like six people. I mean, we've seen it done. Something like Much Ado About Nothing or Blair Witch Project. Barely anybody worked on those movies. Well, I mean, Much Ado About Nothing has a bigger cast than it has a crew. If you like, if you get a good editor that is willing to edit a movie um, for you, like Prosano, you're great. Like that editor deserves a cut on the back end and. Cut on the back end just means they get like five percent of the, the gross of the movie. Cut of the cut of the profits, not yeah. a cut of the yeah, not a, um, a, up uh, an upright check. Yeah, and that's where if um if a movie like uh, Avatar or Endgame makes two billion dollars, you're gonna want that cut on the back. No, no, no. Technically, the so if two billion in theaters, one billion of that goes to the theater chains so that they can make a budget or make some profit. Usually, it kind of varies. Like, Disney has their own thing, and they're trying to force people out. We're not going into that. 50% goes to the theater chains. 50% goes to whatever company made the movie. Now, producers here probably take most of the money, but you get the idea. Um, but then it trickles down through the cast and crew and so on. But in order to make your budget back, you need to make twice your budget because half of that is going to the theaters. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where a whole lot of people are wondering why why did this movie that cost a hundred dollars or a hundred thousand million dollars to make and made $120 million, why did that not make any money? Why is that considered a failure? Well, because they only made sixty. They yeah. technically lost forty million dollars. Yeah. So that's where one of those kind of misconceptions about if you make your budget, you make a million dollars, hundred million dollars on a hundred million dollar budget, you're good. They also don't take into account Marketing is ridiculously overexpensive, and it's ridiculously overinflated. I don't need to see the same damn thing every five minutes. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm going to do something special, so I want to advertise on Monday Night Football. So in order to do that, it's going to cost me for 30 seconds a million dollars. Yeah, the Super Bowl, insane. Yeah, It's like a million dollars per half minute or something. They're not even funny anymore. And no. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, for, like, Star Wars, for instance, they go, hey, we're going to advertise Monday Night Football. Be prepared to watch it at this uh, See, time. See, that might be free because it's ESPN, which is owned by Disney. Which, it might be free. But oh, like, that's a... Uh, yeah. But when they're not... But if you're they're showing on a network that's not ESPN or yeah. ABC... Either way. Yeah. You know, like, they're... Well... Fox now, but I don't know if they own Fox Sports. Anyways, they do. Okay, so if it's not Fox Sports, but it is something else, okay, whatever, it doesn't matter. If they don't own that particular thing, they advertise on it. Yeah. They go, okay, it's going to cost us, you know, NFL Network to advertise on there. It's going to cost us, you know, half a million dollars for this 30-second ad yeah. for Star Wars. And you're just like, wait, hold on. You just spent half a million dollars for 30 seconds worth of time? Yeah. Why not just drop it on YouTube and click, like, go to this on YouTube or something like that? Because most people don't use YouTube. And it's one of those, everyone uses YouTube, but not everyone uses YouTube. Drop so. it on social media over half the country. Half the yeah. world uses, like, Twitter. Yeah. And it's <laughs> it's one of those that it's starting to, the whole marketing is starting to turn. But Good. Yeah. We'll 
get into that probably on a later thing. Another time. Yeah. Another time. Trailer. We'll probably eventually talk about trailers that gave you a misconception about the movie. Like Drive. That would be a fun... You know what? I think that might be a fun time yeah. near the end of the year. Yeah. yeah. But for right now, that is that is post-production. That was production last week. It's pre-production two weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Uh, starting next week, we're going to be jumping back into our normal schedules. Yep. And... Uh, we should have had what we watched in October come out either day before yesterday or it's coming out later in this week. It'll come earlier than this. Yeah. Yeah, I think that will have in. come earlier than Hopefully this. Hopefully that's on Tuesday. We'll see. So, anyway, uh, we're going to wrap up. Any final things to say about pre-production, production, post-production? I have learned a lot more than I ever thought I would. It's a fascinating yeah. uh, process. Yes. It is very cool. I'm... I'm intrigued by the whole process in general. And it's insane to think that there's so much work that goes into something that we take so much for granted. Yeah. It's also interesting, the, the misconceptions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm just going to say, much like I said in pre-production, and I believe I mentioned this in post, or in uh, normal production, next time you go see a movie and you don't like a movie, try to figure out why you don't like it. Uh, if you don't like it for the editing then you know that the editor is probably the problem, not the director, not the actors, not the writer. It's probably an editor. If you don't like it because of the sound for some reason, it's probably the sound person. If you don't like it because of the acting, it's the actor. And there not are, everything is one yeah. person's fault. Yeah, yeah, or it might yeah. be, if it's not the actor, it might also be the director not getting what they want out of yeah. the actor. But and if it's the producer kind of messing with somebody, it's yeah. there are... Thousands upon thousands of people working on these movies that you're watching. Go and see these movies. Support the filmmakers. Uh, support everyone in the film industry. Um, and don't be a douche and don't download movies. That's all I'm saying. Cool. Because that helps nobody. Right. Except yourself and who cares about you if you're downloading movies. <laughs> all right. So with that, uh, just as every week, I've been Devin. I'm James. I'm Tom. And Tom's not dead. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Have a nice week.